Hey, hey, welcome to Web3 Weekly with your host, Blockstar Technology. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our 57th episode of Web3 Weekly with Blockstars. And we have a special guest on today, Senator Andrew Braggs, who is leading the digital transformation within Australia regarding blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. Um, thank you for jumping on, Andrew. I would yeah, like right. to start the podcast with how did, how did you find yourself in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology? How, how did that come about? Well, basically, uh, Josh Frydenberg, who was the treasurer in the last government, said to me, uh, who knows anything about cryptocurrency and... I think someone said, I'll talk to Bragg. And I said, look, I don't, don't know anything about it. Um, I understand there's some um, drug dealers and some nefarious sort of people involved with this. And um, uh, he said, well, you better find out whether there's anything good there. So I ran a lengthy Senate inquiry where I educated myself and discovered that there were great virtues to this technology of cryptography and blockchain. And we made a bunch of recommendations to set up Australia as a leading jurisdiction. Awesome, awesome. Because I have been following you for a, a couple years now, and I do remember when the guys from, I believe it was the Aussie Punks, had made you your very own um, custom Aussie Punk that you, you had as a profile picture for a little bit there. Yeah, we were able to sell that for a quite a large sum of money, which I thought was quite obscene for a uh, Indigenous charity. Uh, so that was all put to good use in the end. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so, Senator Braggs, you have been a pivotal figure in sculpting the Digital Assets Bill. And despite the fact that it was ultimately rejected by Senate, I think a lot of really great things came from the bill, especially the catalyst to really open these discussions to the floor. So I just want to know, were you expecting it to be rejected considering it was in the um, Labor Party's, uh, you know, the power was there? Or what were your feelings when it when it did ultimately get rejected? Uh, well, I'm in the Liberal Party. I mean, the Labor Party have a uh, policy of sort of not doing any many good things for Australia, unfortunately. And they're the government at the moment, so... Uh, the good thing about democracy is the Australian people have a chance to dispatch them next time we have an election. Um, look, I mean, the bill is in, it's in the Senate. It's been rejected in the sense that the government don't want to pursue it. But mm. we think that in the Liberal Party that it's better to establish a system of regulation for Australia now because not only are consumers exposed to an unregulated market, but we believe fervently that it's one of those areas where if you legislate a framework, you will be able to capture more investment because there's so much uh, uncertainty about investing into crypto across the globe. I believe the jurisdictions which establish laws to regulate crypto will be the jurisdictions which attract more of the capital. Now, in Australia, we have an incentive to do that because we're a nation of oligopolies, right? We want to see more competition come to the fore. We want to see our citizens benefit from the disruption that the technology brings. And so I think 
the Labor Party and the government are missing a real opportunity here. Yes, yep. I agree with that. And so what would you say with some, some of the criticisms that we heard about it essentially being maybe too broad or lacked um, detail? Oh, well, that's just politics. I mean, the Labor Party don't like it because it's not their idea. Um, yeah. That's how politics goes, um, which is why everyone hates politicians. Fair enough, I get that. <laughs> um, but they don't have any substantive critiques. I mean, they've been dragging their feet. They've been in government for 18 months now. And the Minister, Stephen Jones, is only really interested in what the unions and the big super funds want. Uh, any, uh, any other issues are not dealt with. And so the government's substantive critique is that my bill is crap because it doesn't have enough detail. That is their substantive point, I guess, trying to be as fair and balanced here as I can. Um, yeah. but, I mean, I would, but, I mean, I would say to that that the, the bill does create a framework for consumer protection. It requires people to have a licence if they want to run a an exchange or a brokerage, uh, sorry, a, a, a broker-style operation. Um, and then you would fill in some of the detail by making regulations, which would, wouldn't be in the primary bill that the government would have anyway. So, I, look, I think their main criticism is really just that... Um, they don't like it because it wasn't their idea. Yeah, yeah, you see that. You see that a lot. Um, Andrew, on that topic, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know much about your bill, could you please summarise some key points for our listeners to um, let them know what you want you did yeah. want to introduce? So, I mean, the bill at the moment is in the Senate, and what it does is it regulates digital assets businesses. So it establishes a system of licensing for markets, brokers, and mm -hmm. it's a system of licensing the gatekeepers. So it doesn't regulate each token. It regulates business ABC, which has a license to run a market and the mm -hmm. obligations are on the market. So capital requirements, key personnel tests, risk management systems, management of tokens, you know, hot and cold wallets and all that sort of stuff is all in the bill, okay? And so then you have a system which ensures that consumers are protected because you have a fulsome regulatory system. It also requires you to have a licence if you want to issue a stable coin and you have to hold reserve capital equal to the value of the tokens on issue. Yeah, yeah, um, that's... Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense because um, a lot of a lot of the exchanges that would be much like a, a, a bank essentially, and I know exchanges, some exchanges in Australia are implementing proof of reserves using things like uh, Merkle tree or zero knowledge proofs, which is um, technology basis, but it's still not in law that they have to do it. Some are doing it out of the goodness of, of their customers. So to, to show um, stability in the ecosystem and let people know they're a hundred back, a hundred percent back reserved. On the stable coins, Andrew, I know the stable coins are a bit funny because stable coins, they're actually a business. They're, they're not a 
Federal Reserve, they're yep. not a government, it's a business in themselves, which um, is risky. And there's there's different technology used in them, like Luna, which was algorithmic, um, which can have big consequences as well. But um, would you would we be looking at, like, I know you said 100% backed on stable coins, but would you be thinking more of um, fractionalized banking? Like in our banking sector at the moment, if the bank has a thousand dollars, they can loan out. Uh, I think it's about thirty thousand. Is that something that would that could work in stable coins, or that would be a hard hard no? Um, I mean, the question would be: Can you get a cash equivalent, uh, or can you find a way to ensure that consumers? have a reasonable level of protection. And I think the question is uh, whether that is viable. I mean, what you don't want to do is to lock everything in stone. And I want to give you an example here. So when the Corporations Act was enacted over 20 years ago, we had a requirement for company documents to be executed with a actual pen, right? So a wet, wet signature. Now, within about five years, that was seen to have major problems because people couldn't execute documents electronically. Law reform finally came when we had the COVID crisis. But it's a good example of you don't want to lock into law a particular process or way of doing things that is going to be disrupted easily. Now, in your case of looking at this area, things will change quickly, which is why you want to have the flexibility of a regulation-making power so that a minister can change it as things change. Now, um, this shows the ridiculousness of Labor's position that they're saying that the bill hasn't got enough detail. I mean, that's by design. You want to have the fundamental principles in the bill and then you want to have subordinate regulations that can be made yeah. as time goes on because it took 20 years for the parliament to pass a law to change the wet signature to a electronic signature requirement, 20 years. And the reason it took 20 years was because it was hard coded in the law. In the law. So a minister couldn't yeah. just make a regulation. So I'm trying to make a point here that when you lock something into a law in Australia, it's locked in, it can't be changed unless parliament changes the law. A regulation can just be made by a minister and tabled in parliament. Yeah, that's a, um, that makes a lot of sense, Andrew. It's sort of you, you're building the foundation for it. you sort of build the foundation but you can change what shed you want to put on it as, as time goes by so um yeah yeah that's very interesting thank you for that man so um senator braggs in terms of reaching a balance between innovation and consumer protection what were some of the greatest obstacles you found having to implement that well, when we ran the inquiry into crypto, there were a bunch of people who said we should give safe harbour to all the existing businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, and my view was that would have been a green light to uh, every shonk in town and that we needed to move to a system of hard regulation, which means by definition that you're going to lose some innovation. Because when you set a capital standard, for example, for a digital currency exchange, uh, you are going to wipe out some of the small businesses because they won't be able to bring the capital to the table. So you have to make a judgment and be honest about it as a 
policymaker, as a legislator, that this is the choice you've made. That you'd rather have, you're prepared to lose some innovation in order to get a large chunk of consumer protection in order. And that is ultimately the judgment that I thought was right. And we want to see that, that law enacted in, in, in future. The problem we have, and the problem that Australia has, is we have a government that is not committed to this agenda. And I doubt there'll be any laws passed in this term of parliament, which means we won't have crypto laws until probably 2026 at best. And so I think we've seen, because of the lack of regulatory um, certainty, we've had a lot of consumers hurt in the process. We've seen a number of really big exchanges come down. A lot of people have suffered significant loss. I um, have myself been involved with some of those exchanges that tumbled, and I think a lot of people in this space that were have invested in the last couple of years in terms of bringing that certainty and the um, regulations with exchanges, that can only really be seen as a positive thing. So in terms of a timeline, what kind of timeline are we looking for consumers to be able to get the protection that we seek to bring some legitimacy into this space? Well, as I said, under the Labor Party, this is not a priority. So you won't see anything in this term of parliament. And I think the only real chance of seeing something materialise is if there is a Liberal government elected in Canberra. Yep, yep. On, I just want to come back a little bit, Andrew, and um, you touch base on, on your digital assets bill targeting exchanges, brokerages and um, stable coins. Um, but not not sort of the tokens themselves or maybe the more decentralised um, systems that are out there. Um, what was your thinking in terms of that? Was that, again, to just have the uh, set framework to build on? or? Well, I guess it was working on the basis that there is a system in Australia which exists around the regulation of investment products and this would, this would be a similar approach you would deploy here. Um, the other point here is that the bill also regulates CBDCs by requiring the foreign CBDCs to report in Australia to our regulators about the use of CBDCs. I guess one of the issues we are going to face potentially in our own region in the, in the Pacific is is the threat of a or the risk of a foreign CBDC taking hold in our backyard. Mm. Now, because everyone's got a mobile phone these days, regardless of where you live, uh, you could very easily see tokenized uh, initiatives on a mobile phone re replace the existing currencies of the Pacific, and that could have all sorts of geopolitical uh, and economic implications for Australia. So I guess my view was the least we can do here is to make sure that we have a handle on any CBDC use in our own jurisdiction by requiring reporting. Yeah, and we did see that um, with Facebook when I believe they wanted mm. to create their Libra token and um, with them having over, I believe, 4 billion users, um, the government over there was very worried of letting them create their own own currency system with that many users all around the world as well. 
Yeah, well, so, I mean, in, yeah, go on. Sorry. Did you want to say oh, I mean, something about that, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the issues here is that we we have a position where we're facing some of the biggest monopolies we've ever seen in terms of major tech players, platforms, mm. which are becoming vertically integrated. I mean, Apple, of course, is looking at running a buy now, pay later product in the US. Um, and that could be, I mean, if you have organisations which are providing hardware and software like mobile phones and operating systems, and then that's parlayed into a social networking application which parlays into a currency, um, that is going to concentrate a level of understanding and control over humans that we haven't seen yeah. from any monopolists in the past. So I think what it means is we as Australians need to be alive to some of these risks. We shouldn't be protectionist and we shouldn't be closing down any avenues, but we need to know what's going on. Yep, yep, definitely. So how important do you think it is for our um, regulation to align with international standards, especially in regards to the CBDCs? Are we seeing alignment with international standards? Are we seeing cooperation in terms of this? It's clearly a risk because of foreign governments and their uses. What, where is our alignment and what's the importance of it? It's a good question. I mean, I think our alignment is always in a security sense with our great allies, um, and that would be with the Five Eyes. Um, then there is the the quadrilateral, and then there is, of course, our close partners in AUKUS, which is the Australia, the United States, and the United Kingdom. Um, we also have, of course, strategic arrangements with Singapore and a range of other close neighbours in uh, Japan. Um, but I think it's really important that we do work with these, these other friends because the foreign governments that may wish to deploy CBDCs through our societies will be doing so for economic and geopolitical purposes. And so, I mean, it's a bit like if you look at Donald Trump's presidency in the US, I mean, I don't think he had as, as, much, he had as much success as he might have had on foreign policy because he always wanted to work on his own, whereas I think mm. it's a much better approach for us to work with fellow democracies uh, on major international issues. And I do think this is a risk to our free society, and so we ought to be working closely on standards with those uh, jurisdictions I just mentioned. So yeah. what are we seeing in terms of the complications? Say, for example, I I'm sure we are all aware that currently there is, we're on the brink of what looks to be World War Three. How important is the harmonisation of this alignment with these jurisdictions and how, how are these global economic crises is going to impact us here at home with the adoption of such technology? Well, I mean, as you know, I mean, crypto was useful for Ukraine, uh, particularly at the beginning of the conflict with Russia, because it was a way they could, they could get money into the country, right? Um, yeah. Now, I'm not sure you would know better than me what the current 
conjectures with the Hamas-Israel uh, mm. conflict. Um, I mean, we will always support democracies, and I mean, our position is that we support Israel, strongly support Israel in its war with Hamas. Now, the delicate matter here is that, of course, we don't want to see any civilian casualties. Mm. And so we, we've implored Israel to be extremely careful in its military operations to minimise the loss uh, of any civilian life. Uh, but I think that the role of crypto really in terms of this current conflict is not known to me. I mean, you might know um, yeah. some, some, yeah. some of those. I have seen that there's been some reporting that there, that there was uh, some uh, Hamas use of cryptocurrency. Is that right? Yeah, it ended up, um, it was a big news headline, but the total figure that they had tracked going to Hamas was actually 2000 US dollars. So Which... that came out a little bit later on after the news had taken off on their mm. story. But Andrew, I fully agree with you because um, blockchain, cryptocurrency technology, um, whether it's CBDC, um, more decentralized assets themselves, it is it is a global global currency or a global um, piece of software, executable software, which us and our allies and partners around the world, I think we need we need a strong simulation. Where, where any laws uh, are very similar. So anything coming or going over national borders, they all fall underneath the, the same laws, much like um, what happened with Pirate Bay years and years ago with Pirate Bay and pirated movies. Yeah, well, I mean, we have no choice as a middle power to work with our friends and allies. I mean, we are not a global standard setter on our own. Having said that, we have, of course, established world-leading standards in the past in relation to the management of big tech. Uh, we passed media bargaining laws which required big tech companies to pay for journalism, right? And we also passed very strong e-safety laws, which uh, Facebook, Google and the others have always resisted, but we've done a good job, I think, in leading the world there. But I mean, in, in terms of these issues, I mean, we need to work with our, our partners. And I mean, everyone knows who, everyone knows who Australia's allies are, and that's where we'll be starting our work. Yep. Awesome. You had another question? Um, no, no, you can go more. Um, so I think I did have another question I wrote down for you, because we're really looking in terms of the consultation and engagement with stakeholders and really how, what role the um, certain leaders in the industry played in the development of these regulations and how much should we be relying on industry when, when preparing some of these legislations and bills? Well, I mean, the consultation has been informed by the parliamentary inquiry, which I chaired, and... Yeah. Blockchain Australia and all the other groups that were involved with that, uh, I think, felt that they had a reasonable hearing. And then, of course, in the course of the bill being examined by Parliament, there's been a parliamentary inquiry, there's been a report, there's been public hearings. So we've heard from the legal experts, we've heard from the business operators, and I think it's been a 
a good process where people have had many opportunities to engage with the parliament. And you know what? It's, that's actually the job we have as legislators is to engage with people and to listen to them. Now, I think that personally, I learned a lot from engaging, as I said at the start of this podcast, with the different parts of the crypto industry. I had no idea what it was going to be like. Yeah. And there were some interesting moments. There were some very strange moments. But I, but ultimately, yeah. I, mean, I, saw it, I mean, I saw it as a really good opportunity for Australia to be a first mover on this because we could lock in the benefit of the, of the disruption, which is going to happen to us anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the idea that we're going to be, I mean, I think the theme of this podcast keeps on coming back to me, but it's Australia is not going to be immune from global technology changes. Uh, and the question is, can we benefit from it or will it control us and cause us negative consequences because we haven't been prepared for it? Yeah. And the thing is, this technology continues to advance so much. We are still at the early stages of the different types of use cases of blockchain technology. It's not all cryptocurrency. And as, you know, society continues to use it more and more, we're discovering really great um, alternatives by using blockchain technology. Say in five years' time, where do you really see this technology or where would you like to see this technology here in Australia? Well, my interest is seeing Australians get access to better products, new ideas at lower prices. And that is the objective that I have. So if people can get a cheaper mortgage, if people can get a better value financial product, whether it be a savings account or a superannuation fund or something, that, that would be really valuable. Um, yeah. I'm also very attracted to this use case of where people can engage in international funds transfers without, without having to give all their money to a, a bank. I mean, I think yeah. it's very, there are so many attractive use cases. I've also been attracted to the idea of tokenization of carbon emission reduction units, carbon credits. Mm-hmm. And because we know how important it is that we decarbonise and giving people exposure to that, I think, is really quite a sexy proposition. So I think that there are so many use cases. I mean, I'm not, it's not really my role to tell the market what to do. That's not the sort of country we have here, thank God. But these use cases are are great, but I think that they're more likely to materialise if we can bed down some sort of infrastructure here. And that's why I'm urging my uh, parliamentary colleagues across the board to to vote for my bill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, um, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> sorry, Maureen. And, yeah, Andrew, I know, like, we're a, we're a development house as well, and we, we see a lot of these really interesting ideas, like, would really help people out. So some of these ideas that come to us to be built um, – would, would be amazing if they got implemented and the laws had caught up to what they want to do. Um, but unfortunately, with the with the uncertainty, um, we, we have a few lawyers we work with in digital assets that we forward them to. 
um, to talk about. And a lot of it sort of ends up com coming under securities or, or whatever that may be. But, um, yeah, it's a shame that, you know, we, we're looking at having to wait till 2026 to be able to create these laws, um, get them passed and get this awesome technology intro introduced to mainstream normal everyday use cases, um, which is the big one at the moment is I've been hearing a lot on the tokenization of um, carbon credits. There is a, a lot of projects out there looking at building that and introducing that, but also real world assets as well is a big one. Yeah, well, you've got a good opportunity to uh, help mm -hmm. help yourselves when uh, the 2025 election rolls around. And uh, <laughs> obviously, I, obviously, I encourage people to always vote Liberal. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, I mean, look, in the interim, for people that are listening to this podcast and they're wondering, well, why is the government not wanting to move on this? Uh, if you're living in a... Labor electorate in somewhere in Australia. I assume this is a uh, podcast that goes to different parts of Australia. And you should ask your local member and go and have a meeting with them and ask them what what the government is doing to progress crypto regulation. It's a reasonable question. Uh, you live in a democracy. Your federal politicians will be available to you, and uh, you should put some pressure on the government because it's not in the country's interest for us to, I mean, even though I'm making some um, some, some sort of semi-serious political points here, semi-challenge maybe, um, in jest, of course, it, it really would be better if Labor did actually just deliver this agenda in this parliament. So that's, what, that's one thing people can do. Mm. Yeah, and here on the Gold Coast, and Maureen, you can add to this as well, is um, on the Gold Coast, uh, our mayor, Tom Tate, he is very good at mm. advancing emerging technology, um, which is blockchain, AI, anything new. He's very interested yeah. and um, looking around the world at what they're already implementing and what we can introduce on the Gold Coast. With last year, we had um, Gold Coast Business Week, which was all about emerging technology and innovation which was well, very maybe, interesting. Uh, it was yeah. quite, quite a big week. Well, mate, if the rest of Australia was like the Gold Coast, we would always be in we would Australia, Australia would always have a Liberal government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, what about the discussions towards the changes in the anti-money laundering or counterterrorism finance measures? Are you seeing many changes that need to be introduced in, in that area or do you think we're pretty well covered uh, no, I mean, I think, look, the Austrack stuff is all pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. up to Austrack to recommend any changes to, the, to their legal arrangements if they need them. But we uh, we don't think, I mean, I didn't think that Austrack was the right regulator for all of this, which is why I pushed it into more the financial sphere, uh, yeah. really into sort of ASIC's remit. But, I mean, as far as I know, um, Austrack do a good job on regulating what they've got. But the laws that they have for digital currency exchanges, I mean, you could drive a truck through. I mean, you can get a DCE licence in an afternoon. I mean, we, we could go and set up a company this afternoon and get a DCE licence. Mm. Mm. And so in terms of licensing and reg, um, registration requirements, you mentioned a few things in your bill, but just for our listeners, where are you seeing 
the main changes in in this area for licensing and registration that really need to take place? Are we lifting the standard? Are we wanting to make it harder for people to get licensing, more of a capital investment, or what is it? Yeah, so it's capital requirements, key personnel tests, yeah. segregation of customer funds, it's risk management, it's the hot and cold wallet issue. Those are all the things that need to be in the law, uh, ASAP. And yeah. so um, have you, are you across the Treasury's consultation proposal paper that they released yeah. last I week? Yeah, I mean, the Treasury, the Treasury paper is basically a rehash of what we released in government two years ago. Yeah. And so they've gone back to the start because they're, um, they've been doing other things. I mean, they've been busy working on Labor's agenda on big unions and big super. Yeah. 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 And so was there anything in the Treasury consultation proposal that maybe stood out to you as being any different or, you know, propelling us in the right direction or how are, we, how are you starting to look at this front? Well, I mean, it's fine, but, I mean, it's taken them 18 months to release the same paper we released two years ago. So yeah. it's, just a, it's just been a huge waste of time. Yeah. And given the pace of movement, you, you mentioned 2026, Unless a different government that, or unless they change their perspective on crypto, is that really the earliest most of us can maybe consider seeing any changes or getting any security and regulation? We're already halfway through this term and they've done nothing. All they've done is re-release yeah. the paper that we put out two years ago. So unfortunately, the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Andrew, on that um, customer protection side, um, if that was to come into law, I guess would there be would there be insurance p policies coming out after that to to repay um, consumers if anything's lost or or how would how would that look? Work? I, I think what you'd see is you'd see a, a regulator enforcing the provisions, right? That's what you'd see. So, for example, if you had an FTX Australian operation. Yep. which had yep. to have a license, right? then ASIC would have had recourse to recover customer funds, to do other things that it would have been able to do under its laws. Because there's no laws there, there's nothing they can do. So that, that's, the, mm. that's the difference you're going to get from a consumer protection viewpoint. You're going to have a regulator there to enforce the provisions um, and, to, and to protect people. And so um, on that topic, with the consumer protection laws, currently we have a lot of laws that protect us today. With crypto scams, um, where, where's ASIC really falling on scams, fraud? Where's the federal police falling on it? I, they don't seem to follow up scams even if the material is there. Is there a, a bridge in the gap in the laws that needs to be bridged or why is there a lack of consumer protection even if their existing laws could cover it? Oh, look, I think on the scams, the government has tried to push out some initiatives on scams, which we welcome, but I think the reality is that the lack of regulation means that it's going to be Band-Aid after Band-Aid. Yep. And so how hard do you find or, or would they find the borderless transactions? Because we're now looking at mutual um, global laws and you know, conflicting laws, how are we going to, our regulations here going to permit us to deal with other other countries? 
in areas like this? Well, we won't be able to engage until we deliver our own domestic laws. And so yeah. I've had a number of discussions with Senator Lummis from the US state of Wyoming and um, uh, other members of the House of Commons in the UK and all that sort of stuff. And we we need to keep pace with it. So that's uh, another reason why the government need to keep going. Yeah. So should our engagement with stakeholders really, really be taking a much more global um, approach, really, like really taking our stakeholder engagement to a global level or are we really just worried about our backyard and hoping that we align internationally? We can't do anything yet because we haven't done any of the work domestically. I mean, they can have a few discussions, yep. maybe at some of their their time-wasting um, international forum meetings. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that, I just see it as, it's all hot air until we actually deliver something domestically. Yeah, and on that one, Andrew, um, with the CBDCs, is it more of, is, are the governments, like the Australian government, um, pushing CBDCs or is it more like the no. Reserve Bank or the Big Four? Who is there? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think anyone's pushing it. I mean, the RBA are doing a review which is looking at retail use cases. Um, I think think they're doing that just to determine whether there's any, as I say, retail benefits of having one. Um, but they're not looking at any of the geopolitical issues. Um, I asked them yeah. to send estimates last week. So, yeah, I mean, it's let's see. I mean, they're, they're working with a... A university to do a report so we'll see what it says we're, we're hearing a lot of um stuff globally on cbdc's like <coughs> i think last week um the european union made a comment wanting to roll them out but then we were also hearing that a lot of states in the us have decided to push back and ban cbdc so i think there's a lot of divide globally and a lot more research and work needs to go into the real um potential risk and I know a lot of people sort of get upset when I bring CBDCs up and the potential risk but I feel as though we still really need to consider this stuff because like you said um, the risk of other countries um, currency coming in and sort of really affecting our economy here is serious and the fact that it's programmable money that can be programmed in different ways is a another big consideration so mm -hmm. Just seeing that the world is still um, out on the topic, like what sort of comfort does that bring us here in Australia for the uses of CBDCs? Well, I mean, I think that the the risks of CBDCs are very are very great, and it mm. could be a huge concentration of power in the state, and so that's why I'm very skeptical about them. And mm. my only hope is that the government is getting its agencies to do a lot of exploratory work on it to make sure that the the Commonwealth government is prepared, um, which is why I included the reporting mechanism in my own bill because I thought that was the best way yeah. to capture any domestic activity. Yeah, and I'm, I'm much like that. I, I can see the, um, the risks with a CBDC depending on who's in power in many years, many years to come with programmable right. money. I can see the benefits of having pro programmable money as well, so sort of 50-50 mm. on, on my side. Mm. Um, but 
uh, Andrew, I'm not too sure, but how would you? I I would picture a CBDC as as a, a wrapper. So if a CBDC was programmed in America under their laws and legislations regulations, when someone transfers that to Australia, it would get wrapped into an Australian version of that CBD under our laws, legislation, and regulations, and. Vice versa, as it was going through different CBDC currencies, the um, actual laws would be encoded in each country's um, legislation laws and they would get wrapped into into that asset as such. Hmm. Look, I mean, you'd, you'd know more about the detail here than, than me, but, I mean, we would want to have equivalence and recognition of... Uh, systems with our partners and allies uh, which means that the further the further we can develop our own laws the better we're going to be about shaping the global standard particularly yeah. the, the standard the standard amongst the you know, call it the five eyes quadrilateral slash g20 sort of group yeah. Yeah. So and oh, go, go on. Murray, no, no, go I was Murray. saying I'm conscious of the time you go. Yeah, question. I was just about to say <laughs> we're Andrew, we're coming we're coming up to the end of the uh podcast. And I know you're a busy man. You've got a you've got a lot on your plate. Um I just wanted to finish my question on do you do you own Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies yourself? No, I don't. My pecuniary <laughs> register is up to date, so you can feel free to go through that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I decided that I wouldn't do it while I was running the review. Uh, but, you know, I'd be quite open to getting it through a managed fund or something like that. But uh, for the time being, I am not invested in any uh, digital assets directly. Yep, awesome. Because um, yeah, we are seeing BlackRock coming close to to an ETF. By it look, it looks like in America, but um, only time will tell with that one. Maureen, any finishing questions uh, or comments for Andrew? I was Andrew just going to say, um, would you do you have any final comments or statements you'd like to leave our listeners on before you go? And where they might be able to get in contact with you, mate. Well, I mean, as I say, the main thing people can do is go and meet with their local federal member of parliament and ask them how they're going with progressing laws that will help crypto in terms of protect people but also incentivise investment in Australia. So that's one practical thing that all of the listeners can do. Thank you so much. And it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Your um, insights have been very valuable and we really appreciate your time. So you got anything else you want to say? Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I know you can follow Senator Andrew Braggs on Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Um, not too sure where else, <laughs> Andrew, but um, definitely, definitely check out his um, online presence. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks very much, guys. No worries. Thanks. Thank you. See you, mate. See you, bye. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe.